In this episode, I chat with Tyler Spence, an assistant strength and conditioning coach at Limestone College, about strength and conditioning for soccer. I had a number of questions, and Tyler was really, really awesome at taking them on and giving me his input and ideas. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Karen, Coaches Corner Chats, and today I've got Tyler Spence on with me. Tyler, give us a little background on where you're at and what you're up to. Uh, so currently I am the Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach at Limestone University down in Gaffney, South Carolina. Um, I specifically work with six teams, uh, two of which are the men's and women's programs here. Um, and I do a lot of work uh, on the field and off the field with the men's program. Um, and that, that looks like all the weight training, all the fitness is what our, our head coach talks uh, says, uh, but we'll call it conditioning. Um, and then I do a lot of their warmups, a lot of their cool downs and, um, I'll travel to games and do some game warmups as well at home when I have the time, cause I do work with six other teams and that proves to be a little difficult. Um, and I also deal with their, uh, GPS, da- uh, data. So I manage their training load as well. Um, uh, before that it was, I did an internship at the university of Maryland. So I worked, I got a chance to work with the university of Maryland men's soccer program. Uh, and then I spent two years as a graduate assistant at Salisbury University, again, working with the men's soccer program. And then during my time there, I think it was like 20, uh, summer of 2018, I was out with University of Denver. So I got to work with their men's soccer program as well. Um, and all that experience has gotten me to where I am now. And then I'm also one of the uh, NSCA soccer uh, special interest group council members and NSCA stands for National Strength and Conditioning Association for those who don't know. So that's pretty much what I'm doing right now. That's awesome. So one of the to kind of get people caught up on why we're, we're together is I started posting some stuff online and I've actually joined his Facebook group and I've joined joined a couple other ones and I just started throwing some questions out as to um, pros and cons of how much you know, in terms of strength and conditioning and having like a formal program. Uh, and then Tyler was cool enough to kind of keep spitting stuff back to me. And then both of us kind of came to the conclusion that it'd be so much better for me personally to kind of hear Tyler's and, and vice versa. And then for me to put this out and then hopefully help more coaches uh, that are out there. And if they've got more questions, then Tyler will be an awesome resource for those uh, people that can follow up. Cause it sounds like you've had, a lot of experience with the men's soccer side of things, which is cool. Um, and from different kind of geographical uh, yeah. spots and levels and stuff. So that's, um, so that's pretty cool. Um, so I'm just going to kind of throw out some questions and then we'll kind of see where things go. And yeah. Uh, so Do my it. big, my big issue was like, we didn't, we had a kind of subpar year record wise. So mm-hmm. the objective in soccer, of course, is this more score more goals than the other team. Right. So I've been using that as my top level and then trying to break down from there. Um, And so when I looked at this, I was like, what things can I do? And I know a lot of people were doing strength training and conditioning and stuff like that, especially like now in the off season for me. Um, And so my question to you was kind of like, where does strength training come into play in that? And how does that help my program become more successful at putting the ball in the net? Oh yeah. And, you know, I remember that being one of the first questions you had on the comment section. So like, this is something that I think is a fantastic question for, uh, we'll call them, we'll call them sport coaches. So anybody who is like a, an assistant or head uh, soccer coach, and then somebody like me would be a strength and conditioning coach, performance coach, or fitness coach. So I think it's an important question for sport coaches to ask. And it's also a great question for a fitness coach to receive because it challenges my thought process. So I think it's a great question. I'm glad that you were able to ask. Um, so this will be a pretty, pretty in-depth answer. Um, so you mentioned in the question, 
Um, the objective more so is to score more goals than the other, the other team in order to win the game. Yeah. Um, so if we want to break how that happens, if we want to break down how that happens, um, we'll start off with in order to score a goal as a player, you have to shoot the ball with accuracy, finesse, or power. And so that depends on the situation that you're in. So you're not going to, you're not, you won't always, uh, you know, say you're on the six, you're at the six yard line or, or well, let's say the penalty spot. Okay. You're necessarily going to rifle the ball into the net every single time. It might require some finesse and accuracy. So that's where the, um, the technical and tactical side of things comes into play, like the decision-making process, your situational awareness. So I just wanted to address that side first. In order to put the ball in the net, you have to have a certain level of technical and tactical or technical and tactical uh, skill. Um, and that part is where the the practice of the sport, the skills and the tactics behind the sport comes into play. And I think that is 100% necessary. I do think that that side of the game should be like that we should players should be spending more time on that. So when you were speaking about um, more time on the pitch and that Thierry Henry uh, post was awesome. Um, I agree. There should be much more time spent on the pitch than in the weight room, but I still think that there should be some time dedicated to the weight room. Um, so I'll, I'll call the, the pitch time non-negotiable. Um, but now let's break down, let's, let's break down a goal scoring opportunity. Uh, so let's say we have a center midfielder and a winger. Um, the center midfielder receives the ball turns to let's say he's the, the we're looking towards the right side of the field and sends a through ball to the right winger um, down the channel to the attacking half of the, or the sorry the part of the field um, in order for that receiver to receive that ball the winger is going to have to sprint onto the ball because the ball's not going to come right to him it's a through ball so it'll go into space where the winger will run onto it um, so then the next, next thing that happens is let's say the winger, uh, drives towards a defender, attacks the defender, makes a move and creates space for himself and say, he's, he's on the right side of the, um, the 18. So he's in a position right now where he could, he could send a lofted, lofted ball for a header, or he could, uh, send a low driven ball at let's say the six or maybe the 12 where we have four other of our teammates box, but they're being guarded by their defenders. So how are those four players going to lose their defenders to open up space for a scoring opportunity? Um, those players are basically going to have to make a explosive movement to move the defender out of position and then make another explosive movement to get into space so that they can have their options of scoring. Um, so in that whole like scenario, you heard uh, some keywords like sprint, drive, lose, attack. And for me, all of those, all of those actions, we'll call them are, involves some kind of powerful movement, right? And so being a guy who loves research, um, I looked up uh, some information. Uh, I found a study by this guy, Oliver Foud, I want to say his name, and some colleagues. They did a study in 2012 on elite um, German football players. And they found that 83% of the goals that they, they um observed were preceded by at least one powerful action. So that could be a change of direction, a sprint, a jump for a header, something like that. And at the same time, I, I, I brought back to a conversation I had with a really, really 
well-known and great professional in strength and conditioning. His name is Mike Young. He's the owner of owner. Well, he's the owner of this uh, private athletic lab, and he's the director of performance for the the North Carolina Courage, uh, the women's professional team that has won a couple of uh, a couple of uh, titles in the last couple of years for the women's professional league. And so we spoke about pretty much a similar thing. And he said that 95% of goals are directly preceded by linear sprinting. Now, I don't, I don't know where he got that from. Um, but I know that he got it from some kind of research. Um, so then going back to that same study of, of the German football players, um, that same study looked at the actions of the assisting player. So they found that the most frequent action of the assistant player was a straight ahead sprint. Uh, And so now you're looking at if you're more explosive and quicker than your defender, well, don't you think that you would be more capable of creating that space and losing that defender? So you kind of have that competitive edge, that physical edge over your defender because you're quicker and more explosive. So from my point of view, and I would even ask you this, is if we want to be faster, more explosive than our defender, wouldn't we need to improve our lower body power and our sprint speed in order to create those scoring opportunities? My answer would be, Yes. So here's my, here's my, like my side of, of that question is it does for me, if I have a very fast winger, but he doesn't recognize that the through ball is going to come because he doesn't recognize when to make the decision or execute the run. The fact that he's fast has no impact on the play at all. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's where my oh, yeah. question is. If I just, if I make my kids faster, but they still don't run in the correct direction, it doesn't help. And that's why I'm trying to figure out what can I get the most bang for my buck? Is it by getting them to play more like consistently versus becoming uh, like a better athlete? Right. Right. So I agree. Um, I think that that part of the question is, so we're so that 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 is that is all technical and tactical. That's the the job of the sport coach. Okay. Um, so in that aspect, um, you know, we, as a strength as a strength conditioning professional, it's not really it's not our job to worry about that side of things. It's up to the sport coach to to, to determine like the weaknesses or, so, or something. You know, you're speaking about how if the guy doesn't know how to run onto the ball or where to run if he's going to receive a through ball. Well, that's, you know, I could, I could help out with it, but at the end of the day, it's, it's their learning of the tactical side. So like I said, at the very beginning, I think it's important that they spend a a majority of the time on the pitch, learning the skills, learning the tactics. But I also think it's, it's, we'll call we'll say it, beneficial to dedicate just a little bit of time to improving skills and strength abilities uh, that have been uh, correlated to improving performance on the field. Um, And I was actually going to talk, touch on that a little later. um, But I like that you mentioned it. Uh, So what do you think? So just to kind of throw some other things out there. So the Thierry Henry thing that I posted um, so he played for France, Arsenal, one of the greatest players of all time. Uh, and he made a comment in a, in a conversation that he never did anything in the weight room. He mm-hmm. felt like his majority of his time should have been on the pitch. Um, and so his ability to shield and do all that stuff, he was renowned for. Um, and so then my takeaway was, was because he kept doing, he did it over and over and over again. Like he figured out ways to, to maneuver his body. Um, he's, a skinny mini there's nothing too much to him um and yes he's blessed with some genetics which of course always comes into play um and what have you 
but I just, you know, I even look at like even the NBA, when you look at like where a Giannis with the Bucks comes in and he was this frail thing, but he was freaking talented as get out. But now he's built like a brick wall. Would he still be the quality player that he was and be as successful as he is now if he wasn't a brick wall, I guess is my question. Yeah. Um, and I know that's not soccer, but um, so that's kind of my, so as we go into this off season, right now we're doing three days of open fields where they can play. Cause I'm not allowed to coach or anything at this point right. due to rules. So we just manipulate, we manipulate the size of the field. So like today they're playing small side. It's all three V three, four V four. So it's smaller field, quicker decisions, execution. And then the intensity is, is up. Um, whereas like on a Thursday we do seven V eight, seven V seven, eight V eight. And then on Saturdays we play full field. So they're getting like different stimuli, if that makes sense. Like I'm controlling mm -hmm. the intensity, um, number of decisions, number of actions, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so now I'm thinking when I look at my team, we, our decision making's not where it needs to be. Our execution is not where it needs to be. So then the question comes up, like someone asked me um, a couple of times when I've talked to him about all this that I've been throwing out, is like, how does a back squat help my soccer team become better passers, decision makers, and scorers? Well, that's kind of my, that's my conundrum. And I think, yeah. and then we'll get into some other stuff later, but that's kind of where I'm at. Well, the back squat, so we're looking at their ability to pass, their ability to make decisions, and the, their ability to make, let's say, we'll make movements. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll call it soccer movements, like uh, an overlap or uh, shielding or anything like that. So the back squat, I wouldn't necessarily say has impacts those aspects. It allows them, granted, if they have a decent understanding of soccer technique, or uh, we'll say like passing technique, shooting techniques, uh, foot skills, and then the tactical side of things of where they're where where they are on the field, what kind of movements they should do, um, et cetera. There's tons that we really don't need to get into, but um, the back squat doesn't necessarily attack those. That's a, for them to to practice and for the coach to to instill on them, but the back squat helps with their lower body strength, which allows them to do, to physically perform those actions at a better rate, harder, faster, as long as they have that decent level of, of skill development from the soccer side of things. So I would agree with you that if these kids have poor decision-making skills, have, uh, their their foot skills, their passing skills aren't up to par, that it may not it may not make them better players. It will make them better athletes for sure. They might be able to work harder than the other guy. Uh, but at the end of the day, like yeah, we want the players to actually have the skills so that the the physical side of things, strength, the power, the speed, can make the skill side of things, the soccer side of things, a lot easier to do and allow them to do it harder or better than the other player or we'll call the other the opponent so the one thing you said which i love was the idea of um athlete like i'm just at the high school level like i'm not i want my kids playing multiple sports so go play basketball go do baseball go do track like i want you to become a good athlete so i think the other part for me is um, like I love to work out, worked out this morning. I love to, you know, take eating right and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's also just for them long-term wise for the betterness of, you know, obesity and all this stuff we hear about that's out there, giving them the opportunities to do something that's going to make them physically stronger, self-esteem. Um, so I see all the pros, um, of it. Um, and I, I'm, and I put it in one of my questions was too, is about, do you see maybe at the high school level that's at, or even at the college level, is it more, not just making them stronger, but more of a, it's like a bonding, a cultural bonding type thing and a building of family. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, 
it, it just get, well, I'll, we'll see a couple things. One, it gives the whole team more time together. You know, most, most strength training sessions or conditioning sessions will last, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. That's another hour of time together where they can build relationships. Like it's, I, being a player, being a former player myself at the high school and college level, um, you know, just being able to work, put in work with my teammates, help each other out and see each other improve really boosted my confidence and boosted the confidence of the team in, in general. So it helps with the improvement of culture. I would also say, you know, with the soccer culture in America and even in Europe, uh, the weight room is viewed as, um, is, 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 I wouldn't necessarily say frowned upon, but I'll say frowned upon. Um, not many, not many coaches want their players training, but just having them involved kind of builds that, that culture of, Hey, let's go. We should be training to improve our, our body, make us more resilient, uh, get us stronger. Um, so it helps improve that side of the culture. Um, there was something else that I wanted to say about, uh, Oh, uh, the long-term athletic development with that you were mentioning, like at the, at the level that you're working at, like with high school, even middle school and, and under long-term athletic development is so much more important than how much weight you're moving. So I like that you said, I want them playing multiple different sports because it exposes them to different types of movement. You know, we, um, you know, with soccer, it's a lot of running. It's more of a, it's what we call it a, We'll call, we'll, we'll call it with simple terms, a speed endurance sport. So you have to sprint a lot, but you also have to do it for a long, a long period of time. Like at the college and professional level, it's 90 minutes with, you know, 45 minute um, halves and like a 15 minute halftime. So you have to be able to do that a lot, but let's think of like, um, let's think of basketball, for example, doesn't, it's more of a, power speed sport you still have to play for maybe an hour or so but there's so many different movements that you see in basketball that you don't see in soccer Mm -hmm. so we'll get into like that that the term early specialization um you typically see kids who specialize in one sport at a young age start to you know have uh, problems with growth they they start um I think it's called, uh, um, I think it's called burnout. Once they get to that college level, um, they peak and in high school, but they don't play as well in college. Um, and then you also see like a lot of overuse injuries because they're doing the same movements all the time and they're not exposing their bodies to different types of movements. So um, trying to think of another sport uh, that would, that would touch on like the coordination of things. So I would say maybe like baseball, you have to have a whole lot of hand-eye coordination to play baseball. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas for soccer, it's more of a a foot, we'll call it foot eye or eye foot uh, kind of thing. But it challenges the brain and the body to do something that they're not used to, which allows them to do different movements and expose their bodies and muscles to different movements so that we'll call it, physically competent we'll call it that um and that aids that all aids in how they develop as an athlete throughout high school throughout college up until they're hopefully at the professional level Mm -hmm. what's uh so what is your your thoughts on like in terms of it so you we've kind of touched on the strength side a little bit on the conditioning side um is there a place in time for like just running sprints just to run sprints or again, going back to my issue is sprinting without the ball or making decisions or communicating or executing. Then I'm missing that whole piece of the puzzle that we are struggling at. So would I get more bang for my buck continually to do open fields, letting them play more, or is there a spot where I need to be doing in your opinion, some, some like, you know, whatever sprints and, and interval work and what have you. I think if, I think that 
in order to better their skills with the ball, they should be working on that on the, either at the, the, those three days of open field or on their own, honestly. I mean, when I, come, when I think about this, when I was, when I was growing up and, and playing soccer throughout high school and college, um, you know, I got all of my tactical, my, my decision-making and my situational awareness abilities and skills I got them challenged when I was at practice, but I would, I would go out either before or after practice or on an off day and really just work on my dribbling skills, my passing skills, and my shooting skills because that is specific to me. I need to be working on that for myself. Um, but then we look at the physical side without the ball, no, no skill or no, um, no technical skill, no tactical skill. What I do physically, so looking at sprints, looking at going out for a three-mile run, uh, that's going to help me perform my skills in a more efficient way, probably faster. Because if I can sprint faster without the ball and I practice on sprinting with the ball, well, I'll most definitely sprint faster with the ball if I combine those, those two. So it's the physical and the tech, the technical side that kind of have to go hand in hand and combine in order to create that, that product of sprinting faster with the ball. Um, and then sprinting consistently, not, you know, maybe like two or three times a week. Um, that helps with faster running. You can, we'll say you can, maintain speed for a longer period of time if you train your sprints and then if you do your intervals like you were mentioning so say like um you sprint hard for 10 seconds and rest for 20 seconds something like that you know i think of it this way if i am able to do that very well can I, every week or so I'll say that every week or so um at every week, it should be a little bit easier than the week before. Once I start seeing that progress, all the skills in the middle of a game will be more efficient because I'm not as tired. You see what I'm saying? So I'm training my energy systems, my, my endurance basically, so that I'm not as tired in the 85th minute when I have to go dribble down the field or cross the ball with accuracy. If I'm tired, I mean, I, I know that when I'm tired, my skills go down and I can't do them as effectively. But when I'm more fresh or less tired, I can do those, I can perform those skills better than if I was exhausted, we'll say that. So what I'm, so my takeaway from everything so far is yes, there has to be an emphasis on technical, tactical, like the time on the pitch, but you, if we get some, some weight training in and some conditioning kind of outside of that, that will kind of supplement or support what's being played on the field. Absolutely. I love that you said supplement because really that's what it is. Um, you know, I'll, I'll put it in as a, from like my, my perspective as at, at, the, at the college level, my head coach for the men's, the men's team, his goal is to bring players in to play the game. That's the whole goal. Like he, he has to recruit players to play the game. Well, okay. Well, my job is to make sure that they are able to handle that kind of physical, we'll call, I'll, I'll call it stress, physical stress on the body. Um, and really it's just supplementing their, whatever ability, physical abilities they have, whether it be, you know, their endurance or their strength or their, their sprint speed. If I can supplement that, and have it translate to the field, that's, that's great. Um, 
and that goes to that, back to my point is I'm not, I'm not saying that we need to be training in the weight room every day or training, doing conditioning sessions or sprint sessions every day, because that's not what the guys are here for. They're here to play soccer. Mm -hmm. So, so most of their time during the week should be spent practicing their skills and practicing their tactics, being at practice but if they want to improve their game physically, spending a decent amount of time with weights and with conditioning is so crucial. And something that I've learned in the last three, four years of being a strength coach is to be a well-rounded athlete, regardless of sport, um, a player should dedicate time a decent amount of time to five different things. The first is playing the game, which should, like again, should have most time spent there. Lifting, which is, you know, we'll call it, call it the weight room. Running, which we'll call fitness or sprints. Recovery, uh, whether that be stretching, uh, foam rolling, sleep, which is one of the most important things. Um, and then nutrition. So if you're do, if you're dedicating a decent amount of time to all five of those things, you're going to be a well-rounded athlete, and I guarantee that you're going to be a great soccer player. So one of the things you mentioned, which I thought was spot on, was that when you do get physically tired, then all of a sudden your like mental side drops, then that means like you're slower with your decisions, your execution drops a little bit. Um, and that's kind of my ponderance is being in the mix and playing and being tired and figuring out how to work through that is that I, I feel it's kind of beneficial. Um, whereas and that's, and I don't know, that's kind of my, like I said, it's kind of my sticking point is uh, putting kids online and having them sprint. But then we've, you know, I've, I've still keep coming back to the game model of what you're trying to get done. And I appreciate all the input that you're sharing uh, with that. So kind of just segueing. So at this point, we're doing two to three days of open fields where they get to play. Um, what would you recommend? Like, so if we start to get into the gym, cause I know some of the guys have, have we did it last fall and during the, during the season, we did some lifting um, and they absolutely just like ate it up. They loved it more That's for good. like that community side. It was cool to see like guys get more comfortable under the bar and all those types of things that we've, you've already brought up. Um, what do you think at the high school level is, is enough to do per week? And then maybe specifically, what would a, a, a program look like if I were to get the boys to, in, in the gym? Yeah, definitely. Um, when I look at, at training, uh, from a very general point of view, I first look at what age group they're in and, but, but not only that, looking at age group and training experience. So, or training age, we'll call it training age. Um, so high school, you're, you're probably what, like 14 or 15 to 18 years old usually. Yeah. So some guys, some, some guys, some girls, we'll, we'll include them as well. Um, will have some kind of training experience, but whether it be their parents were super serious about, um, their their weightlifting before they got into high school or their um they participated in weight training a weight training class for middle school who knows it could be anything um those people would be better off with a little bit more advanced say intermediate training not advanced training because you have to i, I wouldn't say any high schoolers are super advanced but they'd benefit from more intermediate kind of weightlifting mm -hmm. but not everyone and i would say most high school athletes don't have a whole lot of experience in the weight room so at the high school level my whole goal is to have a plan in place that focuses on uh basic movements like this like squatting um what we call it hinging um, but that's like, uh, you probably know what an RDL is, right? 
Mm-hmm. So RDLs, deadlifts, um, push-ups, pull-ups. Um, but we'll 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 get very general with this and say um, squat patterns or squat movements, uh, hinge movements, upper body pushing. So like a bench press or a push-up, upper body pulling. So like a bent over row or a chin up. Um, what are the other ones? Um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, carrying. So any kind of carries like a farmer's carry. Uh, one thing that a lot of people don't think about is crawling. So crawling is a basic human movement. Um, we did it when we were kids and it requires a lot of, a lot of muscular coordination so being able to stabilize your, your core and your spine while moving your arms and legs. Um, so that would be the extent of the programming in the off season for, for people, for players at the high school level. And a lot of strength coaches worry about getting like max numbers, like squat max, bench max. I would I don't think that, finding those values are important at that age, unless they're one of those players who have been training for four years before coming into high school, then they can possibly uh, go under the bar for a back squat and get a, get an, uh, a, a squat max for themselves. Um, my whole goal is to plan, have a plan in place and then progress them using what we call linear periodization. So just every week or two, just going up a little bit in weight for the same number of reps mm-hmm. um, and then assessing. So they go through a whole, maybe a half of a off season or maybe a whole off season and you just assess where they're at. Um, and then one thing that I've found uh, for any of the major movements like squat, deadlift, bench, pushups, whatever is using a, a a method called open sets. So say we do, we'll do um, three sets of eight. So they'll do their first set of eight and they'll do their second set of eight. And then their last set is an open set. So they have the option to, or they have the opportunity to do as many reps as they can. And so let's say I did a goblet squat for three sets of eight with we'll say 50 pounds um, on the first week and I hit on the third 10 reps so I I did two more than expected which is great next week I'll do the same exact thing three sets last set I want to see how many reps I can do so I could do the same weight and try to get maybe 12 reps instead of 10 or I could go 10 pounds heavier and try to hit it for 10 reps because that's what I hit last week. So there's two ways to progress that. And the great thing is that the weight's not that heavy, which reinforces technique and being able to do the movement right. And that's what's so important for a high school level athlete who's just being introduced into the weight room. It's, it all goes back to that long-term athlete where we want to we want to master the movements first before we actually start putting on weight and making things more complex. So how many times do you think per week during the off season is like once is once a week enough um, to at least get them in the mix? Do I go twice? Um, what do you think on that? So similar to like similar to being a head coach is consistency is key. So if I'm only doing one training session a week, and we have 12 weeks of an off season, you only train one, uh, you only tw- train 12 times. Well, now let's put it to two weeks or two times, do- two times a week. Okay. So now that's 24 times or 24 training sessions in 12 weeks. Well, all right. It's the off season. We're not playing as much as we would be in season. My guess is you'd be probably practicing every day and then having a game on the weekends or something like that. Well, now we're, while we're 
playing open field three times, two to three times a week. So I can really push possibly even three times a week for the weight room. Um, understanding that they are playing on those, on those three days and not pushing them too hard where it, it negatively affects their, their time on the field. So like, I don't want to make them crazy sore the day before uh, a field session. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is, and I've run, on, run into this a lot with coaches is that they come into the off season and then they, they, you know, at the college level, you're allowed to practice a couple times a week for, I think they limit it to like four hours with the ball. Um, they get concerned that, oh, they're so sore. Well, yeah, they're sore. They haven't been training like this for a couple weeks because they've been playing. So just like if, is if you took off playing soccer for a month or two and you come and a half, the next day you're going to be sore. Like it happens to me all the time. I'll probably, you know, at 8.30 tonight, I'm going to go play a rec league game and I haven't played for months. I'm going to be sore tomorrow. That's just how the body adapts. Um, so soreness and we'll call it a drop in performance, it's going to happen early in the off season because they to doing all that stuff, but that's okay. That's part of progressing. Um, but I think that two to three times a week, especially at the high school level with more repetition, so sorry, more reps than, than weight, um, is going to probably the best recipe for a novice, um, a novice athlete in the weight room. Um, but that also depends on how much time they have available. Cause you know, I don't know how, how, how much time high school athletes have available to them. I'm assuming that it's not a whole lot because they're in school for the, the first half of the day. And then they probably have practice and, you know, they might be playing the clarinet for, for some of, uh, for another hobby, and, you know, where are they, where are they going to fit in the weight room? Um, yeah. So I, I, that's another aspect that you got to think about. But, you know, very minimal, two times a week would be, would be best. So um, kind of summarizing everything that I've kind of taken in. Um, one, which I think is cool coming from a strength and conditioning coach, um, saying that, yes, the time on the field is super important. Like that's where, like you said, it's your, the college coach at um, where you're at, Limestone, is bringing in players to play soccer at a high level, not to come in and become, I don't want to call weight, weight room warriors or, yeah. you know what I mean? They're not, they're not there to be powerlifters unless there's a powerlifting team at the school. <laughs> those guys are. Um, but I think what you're saying is that there are some things that doing some of the weightlifting can help with the coordination. Some of the, um, those moments of like you pointed out, maybe some dynamic times, where you have to do something at a high level um, and what have you. And I really appreciate all that. Cause that was kind of my, um, you know, cause I was just, I guess maybe I'll ask like, so let's say that all we do with my program is we just play soccer and we don't go in the gym. Do you think that means, is that a, is that a, a formula for us to not be successful? No, I, I wouldn't necessarily say, say that. I just I would say that incorporating some kind of strength and conditioning, whatever level that may be, and however, whatever time you might allow for that, will just just will just help them improve their game. It won't necessarily diminish their their playing ability. I think it just will supplement and just help them become better athletes. Um, and so like, if, if, if you're all, if all you're doing is playing, playing the sport right now, um, the easiest thing you could do is start them out with one day a week in the weight room and maybe one day a week conditioning just so that they get that experience of doing it. And, you know, the, the thing that I'm thinking about now is 
I've always asked my athletes this is like, how, how do you feel weight training is helping you? How do you feel what I'm doing for you is helping you? And you'll get a mixed response. I mean, you'll have guys like Thierry Henry and, you know, my friend of mine actually mentioned Carly Lloyd has been only does like body weight circuits. So those, I would call those anomalies, honestly. Um, not everybody agree, uh, does that. Also, not everybody does weight training. But I've had an overwhelming number of players come to me and say, like, this has just made me feel much healthier and stronger on the field. Um, and I can think of my – he's now a so- – yeah, I think he's now a sophomore on our team. He came in never, never training. Uh, he was a lot skinnier than he is now. And he, he comes into the weight room and, and says like, coach, I'm going to be, I'm like, I can't believe how much stronger and how much faster I feel in the field after this past year of training. Um, and you know, he always gets excited because I still have him on the front squat because he's not, he's not, he's just not there yet to be able to, work on the back squat but he has made so many improvements on the front squat and he gets so excited about it and then you see him play on the field he has a great soccer mind he's a I think he's an outside he might be a winger no he's a midfielder outside midfielder and you can just see how he moves with the ball and moves off the ball and creates his space in such a in a much more effective way than he did last year uh, in his freshman year. You think some of that too, not just the lifting, but some of that, like, as you know, as we grow up being a sophomore after going through the year as a freshman helps a little bit as well. Absolutely. I mean, you got, there's, (laughs) there's so many, uh, there's so many aspects of, I'll I'll say life that go into play. you know, a freshman you typically think is a timid player mm-hmm. because he's not yet used to the culture. He's also probably developing physically. But the great thing is if we can get them at the right time uh, in terms of you know, weight training or physical development, whatever their, um, whatever their, overall development we'll say whatever their overall development is at that point well we can take advantage of what they're doing by incorporating weightlifting and stressing the body more so it kind of we'll call we'll say accelerates their development got it got it hey uh i have loved this conversation this has been awesome and i think might might be the start of more uh conversations because i think we've kind of like just done the tip of the iceberg yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to talk more, man. But I, like I said, when we started going back and forth and you even said, hey, we need to just chat because I think um, it's easier to do instead of doing it. Oh, yeah. Facebook Messenger and all that kind of crap. Um, but if others want to get in touch with you, what's the what's the easiest or best ways to get in touch with you or even to join the uh, Facebook page? Okay, so first with the Facebook page, um, they can just uh, go to our page on Facebook, look up NSCA, all caps, um, soccer, S-I-G. So soccer, space, all caps, S-I-G. Um, and so you'll be asked a question of, um, you know, what is your role in soccer? I think that's, you know, along, some, somewhat along the lines of the question. I, don't, I didn't actually have the membership question. Um, but we want to know like what, what involvement you have with the sport so that we can really down who we have on, in, the, in our following. Um, and then, honestly, we, we just take a look at it, and we'll accept pretty much everyone except for those you know, pe- random people across the, across the ocean who are just there to post random stuff that – has nothing to do with soccer, <laughs> but we pretty much, we pretty much approve anybody who we think has some kind of involvement with soccer. And we love having people ask questions, post.
and then reach out to us. And that's Spence, SP Stone. That's L-I-M-E. Um, I'm also on Instagram. Uh, it's at coach.jtspence. Um, it's fairly new coaching, uh, coaching account, but I'm planning on doing a lot more posting on that. And then if you want to take a look at our limestone strength and conditioning staff page, uh, it's, oh gosh, this is going to be a tough one. That's right. Um, what I can do is to help is I'll get all this linked in, uh, like the, the episode notes. Mm -hmm. Um, so they can just click on and go right to it. Um, cause I'll throw sure. all the stuff out on Twitter, Instagram, face, it's going to be all over the place. So, um, but, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I can, I'll send you an email with all that, all that stuff. If you need yeah. It. That'd be perfect. I can cut and paste it and just, and yeah, there you go. So, Good. Hey, I really appreciate you hopping on with me. Um, I think this is going to bring it help. It's been good for me to kind of just see and hear some of the ins and outs a little bit um, and your take. Uh, and I know it's going to help bring a lot of value to those that get to, to watch and listen to this. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, we can keep in touch and I'd love to hop back on and get a little bit more specific. Like all of this was so general, Yep. but I can get really specific with like how we can train our, the young athletes, you know, it's so much different than how I would train my current, you know, 18 to 22 year olds. Well, I actually, I'm 27, almost 27. And I have a, a German player who's 28. So yep. vast difference, <laughs> but it's, even though it's so vast, we're still much more further along than middle school and high school athletes and the training the, the way that they're trained is so much different. So I would love to hop on again and kind of get a little bit more specific with like exercises, um, progressions, anything. Got it. Got it. Hey, I'll just wrap this up. Hey, this is Karen coaches corner chats and I'm out. Peace.